Hello and welcome to Gifts of the Weird. I'm John, your host, and with me on this episode is Christopher Hughes. Christopher is the chief of the Anglesey Druid Order, a Mount Haymes scholar, and a member of the Order of the Bards, Obates, and Druids. He is a teacher, writer, workshop leader, and guest speaker at pagan conferences, camps, and festivals throughout the world. And he is also a Welsh language television presenter and actor. He's the author of From the Cauldron Born, The Book of Celtic Magic, and Caridwen, as well as the creator of both the Celtic Tarot and the Yuletide Tarot, which we are going to talk about here. Christopher, welcome to the program. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. That that biography sounded really impressive. I'm not entirely sure if you were talking about me, but it was very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like some impressive work there. I was like, wow. <laughs> it sounds as if half of it was made up, but I can assure you it's not. It's all quite true. <laughs> How are you? Good? I'm doing great. I'm, we are recording in the morning for me, and it's a lovely autumn day and, and here in Southern California. We have some lovely sun, and it's just really great, and I'm very excited to be here with you. Oh, lovely. It's the, it's the complete opposite here. It's, it's quite dark. It's been a rather miserable day. It's been drizzly and rainy and cold all day, but I'm in my lovely, cozy, warm office with candlelights flickering at the windows, so I'm perfectly content. That sounds that sounds wonderful as well. So here we go, and you're warm and cozy, and uh, we, and then we can it kind of brings in the mood for talking about the Yuletide Tarot. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, would you mind, uh, before we get talking about the Tarot, uh, would you mind sharing a bit about your journey to Druidry and becoming Chief of the Order? Well, do you know, funnily enough, that journey, it kind of runs hand in hand with the Tarot. It's my, my very first introduction to to this world, to the, to the alternative world, to the New Age metaphysical world, was through a deck of Tarot cards when I was merely a teenager. And I had no idea what they were, but they intrigued me, they compelled me, and I was immediately drawn into this other world that already existed within the world, and yet I was unaware of it. And the tarot opened so many doors for me, and one of those doors was to the exploration of spirituality. And you know, like so many people in the Western world, my my options were somewhat limited to Christianity here in Northwest Wales, and even Christianity here back then in the you know in in the eighties wasn't particularly a strong thing either, and it's not a strong thing even today. But it was about the only avenue that I had, and it didn't quench my thirst. And so I started exploring and looking at what my own landscape would offer, or what teachings I could glean from my own landscape, which was. You know, it's littered with Neolithic, Bronze Age, and Iron Age monuments and hill forts, standing stones, burial chambers. So evidently, my ancestors had some kind of spiritual connection that was very much in tune with this land. And and that piqued my interest in a way that Christianity couldn't. So I started scratching at the surface of these ancient monuments and the ancient traditions of, of this island. And of course, what I found in there was a paganism and then an expression of druidry and of druidism that sings of, you know, so much from the Romantic era to occultists of the 20th century to 
budding occultists of the 17th century and, and of course, the, the invocation of an ancient priesthood from the last golden age of the Celts 2,000 years ago. So all of these things were kind of thrown into this cauldron that became the expression of spirituality that I practice today. And Druidry kind of found me as I found it, if that makes any sense. And and I jumped on that train and I'm still riding it, which is rather fabulous because not only does it cause me to have this profound connection with, with where I live, but also with the mythological landscape of where I live, the ancestral landscape, um, the cultural landscape, the linguistic landscape, all of those things float inside this expression of, of druidry, this magic of druidry. And and what came along for that ride since the very beginning has been tarot. You know, tarot has always been there as part of, of that particular journey. And here on the island of Anglesey, we've always had this deep, profound history um, that's related to the Druids. This was the, the last stronghold of the Iron Age Druids, and so much of a stronghold that it posed somewhat of a threat to Rome. So Suetonius Paulinus, one of Caesar's commanders, marched 20,000 men from Londinium, from current-day London, all the way up here, about 300 miles to the island of Anglesey to, to take care of the pesky druids. <laughs> and, um, and it was an enormous battle here. You know, so many people lost their lives. It was just carnage. But the echo of that ancient priesthood is still here. It's still in our mythology. It's in the Bardic tradition of Wales. It's recorded in our language, um, within the very you know narratives of our culture. And um, so it was. It was an obvious choice, which wasn't necessarily that obvious when I was a teenager. But then you know, when we're teenagers, we've got a lot of things going on, right? You know, so. It took a while for me to to find these things. So, um, so it was. It felt very natural to start the Anglesey Druid Order in 1999. Gosh, that seems a long time ago now. Does, and, um, you know, I was much younger and thinner, and I had significantly more hair. <laughs> so <laughs> we all did. <laughs> so I'm not sure what that tells me about my druidry that has caused me to lose my hair. <laughs> So, but um, but yeah, it's been it's been it's been quite a journey. So in 1999, we we started the Anglesey Druid Order, and we're still going strong to this day. We're the largest pagan organisation in Wales, and um, we have a, a physical component to it. We have a, a physical school that people come to and learn about our druidry and become members of the order. And we also have an online facility as well, or faculty rather, um, so that people can share, you know, and be be a part of the, the story of, of the, the significance of the island of Anglesey to not only ancient druidry, but also to modern druidry. This kind of, uh, I, I guess it's almost like a battle cry, you know, against the echoes of the Romans that we are still here and regardless of what they think they did to us 2000 years ago we haven't gone anywhere we're still here that is quite a testament isn't it that <laughs> I, I like how you phrase that like regardless of how they think they did to us and uh here you are rising like a phoenix and uh, practicing strong and wonderfully exactly. around the world now uh, yeah 
Yeah, it's 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 remarkable how how it's piqued so many people's interests, you know, and and so many people I think they ha- might have an ancestral connection to the Celtic lands because obviously ours the the druidry the Anglesey druid order is just one flavor of druidry, you know, that comes from one of the six Celtic nations. Um and of course there's there are other flavors, there's Scottish, there's Irish influences, Manx, Cornish, Breton. So ours is just one flavor. And and every now and again we also get to play with, you know, other people from other flavors of druidry like my cousins across the Irish Sea on the Emerald Isle. We have so so much in common. There's so many similarities mythologically and um, philosophically and practically. So we don't exist in a vacuum. You know, we 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 exist as a facet or an element of this beautiful tapestry of spiritual expressions that have so many influences at their heart, and they rise up from the land. You know, and I and I, and I firmly believe that um, druidry, or not necessarily even druidry, but Pagan spiritualities uh, arise as a response between a person and its land and their land, and and I feel that that's very much what druidry is. It's something that's been informed by a land, and then it rises from the steam of that cauldron of inspiration and and just takes flight and inspires people from any in all parts of the world. And I find that really exciting and thrilling, and it's amazing to be a part of of all of that. It brings me an immense, immense joy and pleasure and wisdom and inspiration, um, frivolity, profanity, all in equal measure. I understand that inspiration because I've been touched by it as well. Just the, the magic of, of druidry and the Celtic mysticism uh, mm. uh, has always been, it's what drew me into more of a pagan practice uh, some 20 something years ago. Uh, you nice. know, I was in between Christianity. I had felt that that was not, a, there was something missing when I was practicing Christianity. And also part of it was some of the, just the the negativity towards other people, such as the LGBTQ community, and mm, mm. and some of the harshness of well, unless you do things like this, then you're going to burn in hell forever. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, and that just didn't sit well with me. And so I wandered away and was just kind of in my own thing. And then I, I met some druids, and they talked about that, and I felt that what you mentioned earlier, that connection with the land and connection mm. with the land spirits and that just really awakened a side of me that i was like oh now i can explore all of this and so i understand all that exploration it's wonderful oh so much so and and you know it's when we connect to the the spirits of the land the spirits of the land they don't give a rat's ass whether we're lesbian gay trans straight I think the only thing that they they care about is the integrity and quality of the relationship that we have with them. So you know, I'm a I'm a, a gay person who you know identifies primarily as a male, but not exclusively so. And I've been married to a man for 32 years, but I'm the head of a druid order, you know, and 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 that fact alone kind of gives me um i feel very lucky to be in that position where my sexuality doesn't restrict the expression of my spirituality and that within the the fundamental tenets of druidry it's about how we express wisdom and and i think intolerance and judgment against other people regardless of you know of of, of what nature that takes is something that 
demonstrates a lack of wisdom. Yes. So that when we when we're immersed in traditions that are wisdom traditions by their very nature, judgment and intolerance become things that have no place within those systems. And and I love that about you know not just Druidry but other pagan traditions as well is that there is a spirit of tolerance that arises from a desire to be wise and to disseminate wisdom. And and like yourself, I I didn't find that in the revealed traditions. I found that the the, the revealed traditions, the revealed religions, they wanted me to change fundamentally who I was in order to fit into a box. And I don't need to mold myself to fit a box. Within Druidry, what I need to do is try and express wisdom and inspiration. And you know, and sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes I feel angry at the world and I feel angry at what happens in the world. And sometimes I don't feel very wise. But I think that the beauty of, of Druidry is it's the it's the ongoing pursuit of wisdom and the self-exploration and examination that comes from that. And sometimes it feels a bit like therapy in a in a cauldron. <laughs> You know, yeah. but, um, but I love that I can be a middle-aged gay man who is a head of a druid order, and and that's okay, and that nobody thinks that's peculiar or thinks that's odd. It's um, it's just as it should be. You know, it's 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 all fine. It's all good, and um, and I'm and I'm and I'm always aware that that also brings other people hope as well, and a spirit of hope in that they see, oh gosh, you know, there's there's a there's a gay person who's in charge of this druid order, so it must be fine for me to be gay as well. I say, of course it is, darling. Everybody come in and play with all the colors of the crayon box. You know, absolutely, that's beautiful. I love that. Love that. Mm. Ooh, you've inspired me. I'm moving to Anglesey. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rather nice place to be. <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds actually lovely. I've been in Wales before. I was in Cardiff uh, for a short visit, and I had just the most lovely time and the most welcoming folks. I was in a pub just by myself, uh, not sure what I was going to do for the day, and there was a right. table of people, uh, they were postal workers, and they were getting ready to go into work. And they yeah. invited me over to their table. And next thing I know, they're whisking me off. I'm going to work with them to take a tour of the plants and, and oh uh, meet their co-workers. And it was it was so lovely. It was just a That's great so fabulous. Yeah, well, uh, Cardiff, was... Cardiff is a really cool city. It's a long way from me, though. Um, I, I do get to Cardiff, but maybe only a couple of times a year, because it's it's nearly a six-hour drive. Oh, my. You know, yeah, from, I'm, I'm in the extreme north northwest and cardiff is the extreme southeast yeah that would definitely be quite a uh, a weekend journey for you yeah yeah oh yes if i go to cardiff i i have to make a couple of days of it yeah well let's move on to uh, the tarot at the hmm. deck because uh that's one uh, it's all about working with you but uh, i love this deck when i saw the the announcement from llewellyn about it i thought oh that's wonderful um what a beautiful deck and then i saw a couple of the cards and it intrigued me even more. And um, one of the reasons is because you included Sinterklaas uh, yes. in the deck. Uh, I have that heritage. So Sinterklaas is very important, a big part of my cultural upbringing. Right. And so that, and he doesn't get used a lot in a lot of uh, different holiday traditions outside of the Netherlands. So yeah, um, no, he doesn't. Yeah, it was very exciting to see him. So um, we'll be interested into how he came into play with the deck. Mm -hmm. but, but as we get going, though, what inspired you to create the Yuletide Direct? You've created a deck before, so uh, you are aware of lots of work that goes into it. And mm. 
I can't imagine what it would take. I can't imagine because I created a deck and uh, an Oracle deck. And it was like, so what, what inspired you to take this on? And uh, what were some of the challenges as you were creating it? So I think I, I, put, I have a particular love and affection for midwinter. And I think of, of all of the pagan celebrations of the year, that my favorite would be uh, Kalangayav or Halloween, uh, Kalangayav in Welsh, and Mistletide or Nadolig, uh, which is Yuletide in Welsh. Those are my favorite seasons, I think. And I think because I'm, I'm a November child. So I, I was born on the 21st of November. So I'm right on the cusp of Scorpio and Sagittarius. And and I think that probably does have a huge influence on, you know, the the affections that a person might have to a particular time of year, you know, the time period in which we're born. And I really wanted a, a tarot deck that expressed and reflected not only the, the wisdoms of that season, but also the archetypes that are held within that season, because they're kind of endless. And, and there was no way I could even do them justice in 78 cards. There are so, there's so much iconography and symbology that's tied into the festive season. But I really wanted something out, something to be out there, something to exist that I could use during this dark time of the year that also tied into that mythology. And I was in London one particular weekend and I was at the Atlantis bookshop. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this have either been to the Atlantis bookshop or or know of it. And it's one of those historical bookshops in London, you know, where the great and the good, like Alistair Crowley, Gerald Gardner, Alex Sanders, all of these people have been to Atlantis and given talks in the past and workshops and such. And I was there and I came across the Christmas tarot. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be for me. So I bought the Christmas tarot and on the train home, I just found myself really disappointed. The, the box was beautiful with a very Victorian Dickensian design, but inside which i didn't realize when i i think i just grabbed the box on impulse uh, it was only the major arcana but they were also fairly dark and i and they lacked the the whimsy that i that i associate with the season and a couple of weeks later i just happened to be speaking to my tarot editor at llewellyn worldwide and we would usually you know sometimes have conversations of oh have you had a new deck of late and which decks have you been buying and so I went off on a, on a bit of a rant about the, how disappointed I was in this tarot deck. And she'd heard of it, and but she'd, she'd not seen it. And, and I just kicked off on this little rant. And then she said, well, do you think you can do better? I said, of course I can do better. So she said, well, put your money where your mouth is then. I thought, oh, God, I walked right into that one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh no, and I'd just done um, a tarot deck, and it's a oh, it's so much work. It's so much work. It it literally consumes your life for about three years. You know, the creating of a tarot deck and the collaboration and finding finding the suitable artist as well, and then collaborating with the artist, which must be a, a ghastly experience on one hand for the artist because. It's it's not as if they have an awful lot of artistic expression, uh, an artistic freedom of expression, because they're having to depict and illustrate exactly what's in my mind. And whilst I can do sketches, and you know, you wouldn't, you, nobody'd want to print those sketches. They're pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. So so I have to somehow get what's in my head out to the artist for them to recreate, and and that's that's a bit of a process, and it takes a while. And um, 
So, and I told my editor, Barbara, that I needed somebody who could depict scenes that were very whimsical and expressive or that would invoke something like a child's storybook, you know? And I'm not sure how many people in the United States are aware of an author-illustrator called Jill Barklam, who um, designed a series of books in the 90s called Brambley Hedge about mice who live in in a hedgerow in in an English countryside somewhere. And they're they're just exquisite. And as it happens, Erin Brown, who illustrated the Yuletide Tarot, she really captures something of that, um, of the spirit of Jill Barclam, you know, and also um, other children's illustrators that I'm a fan of. And so we thought, right, Erin Brown's going to be the right person. But she she didn't even, I don't, I don't think she even knew that tarot was a thing. And she certainly doesn't move in the, you know, the, the circle of the community that I move in. So, so she took a bit of a gamble and a risk, I think, in, in taking on the project. And she just had the best time. And that in itself was a joy to see this woman fall in love with the tarot and something that she was completely alien to. And um, so hence the, the journey began, you know, and that this was three years ago now. And the deck came out this, um, this autumn. And I'm so absolutely overjoyed with it. I love it so much. It's brought me so much joy, not only in its creation, but now I get to to use it, I get to read with it. And it's just, it's just a delight. I'm absolutely delighted with it. Well, I agree with you about Aaron's artwork. Uh, and uh, the artwork is accomplished what you wanted, that whimsy, that, that delight, that reaching to that child that most of us will, will associate with the joy and delight of Christmas and the holiday yeah. season, the Yuletide season. So uh, well done and beautiful work with that. Oh, thank you. E- even even the the like some of the the designs were like the miser or the the four of gifts you know the miser right holding all of the gifts and he's sitting there and and uh, even that still looks fun and like scrooge yeah like scrooge and it's just the she did a wonderful and a beautiful job and uh, really really accomplished what you had in mind and, thank you, thank you so and much. I do know the, the 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 trials of trying to communicate that with an artist because I like you uh, can sketch, come yeah. up with an idea, but boy, is that tough. And the artist for my deck did a wonderful job with uh, also bringing that whimsy and that the, the oh, of the holiday season that we that we want to communicate. Yeah, yeah, so much so, and and it's a joy as well to work with an artist and to 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 see not only my vision come to life, but to also have their input and to see such a transformation happening within the life of the artist as well that was that was such a pleasure such a joy and and she she now understands the tarot you know and and enjoys working with the tarot and what i particularly wanted was for the major arcana because they're such archetypal cards anyway i wanted those to express the archetypical spirits that are associated with the yuletide and again you know sometimes i think i have to ask people to to be also be a bit forgiving because i had to just choose 21 of them 
So and that was very different Different when there are hundreds of archetypal symbols that are associated with the Yuletide season. And then my minor arcana, they, they tend to depict the very human relationship and associations that we have with the season. Because, you know, the minor arcana, I always think of them are, are the details, the very human details of what is going on in a person's life. And, and we all have different associations and relationships with the festive season and those are depicted in the minor arcana and then swimming through those you have the archetypes you know of the major arcana also putting in their two pennies worth you know (laughs) talking about the the major arcana and those archetypes of that and i did notice uh, or you know when i read it in the book of course and your your decision about that so with so many how were you able to narrow down to those 21 and uh, come i mean did you just have this list and you're like well this fits better or did you think this really has a lot of meaning? And this is where I'm going to throw in and say, how did you bring in Sinterklaas? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit selfish here. This is about me here. <laughs> it, it was it was very difficult because the list was immense. And I had to I had to edit myself, I guess, in and also be slightly imaginative in how I was going to ex- express certain Yuletide archetypal energies. So rather than focusing on the the very strong feminine influences that run through um, Yuletide, particularly here in Europe, there are so many figures that have an association with the the rebirthing um, quality of midwinter. So, and if I'd have used all of them, I would have very quickly used up the entire major arcana. So, so I had to edit them down, and so I, I simply. Um, bundled all of those up, if you like, into into the figure of the Matrona. So my Empress, or card number three, the Matrona, is the epitome of all of those fertility figures, you know, those the, the feminine wisdom within Yuletide. So if somebody wanted to connect with, say, Hela, or, you know, with, with a figure that is pertinent to their own cultural expression, they hopefully can see that within the figure of the Matrona in the same way that, you know, some of the Welsh figures of fertility and fruition that are associated with this season, I see them within the expression of that particular card, the Matrona. But Sinterklaas was, because I think, um, because, you know, I live in the British Isles, so we're only a stone's throw away from the influences of the Netherlands, particularly if you live, you know, in the southeast of of England. We're we're like, you know, you're only like 37 miles, you know, as the crow flies from, from, from the Netherlands. So there's always been influences from Holland here in the UK. Um, we get a lot of festive imports from the Netherlands around Christmas time. And one of my, um, so lovely, and, and even if he listens to this, I'm sure he'd be quite tickled. But my first my first boyfriend okay, uh, was from Holland, but he lived here in the United Kingdom, still lives here in the UK, but he's Dutch. And his his surname is Kuchenbarach, which means Cookie Mountain. I just love that. I just love that he had this surname of Cookie Mountain. And every time I would say his surname, for some reason, it would remind me of Yuletide. Um, this this whole mountain made of cookies. I mean, that that must be a, a Yuletide symbol, right? Because it sounds like one. 
And he would speak of Sinterklaas and the influences of Sinterklaas on his youth. And, and I was aware of Sinterklaas as well because of our proximity to the Netherlands. But I'm also, I also love the fact that within the figure of Sinterklaas, there are remnants. He's, he's almost like a hybrid of so much of European culture and so, and also some pre-Christian culture, perhaps, that's that's mixed in, you know, and that Sinterklaas has not only this very blatant ecclesiastical um, countenance to him, but there are elements, when you scratch at the surface of Sinterklaas, there are these elements that are very non-ecclesiastical, as if he is a hybrid being, a, a creature that arose from not only the the... the the distant past, but also from people's connections to that particular time of year. And whenever I consider Sinterklaas, I, I, I see the hierophant, you know, that the hierophantic figure within the tarot. So it felt as if he fit very well into that hierophantic um, countenance of not only wisdom, but also everything that encaptures and encapsulates belief and structure, because Sinterklaas gave so much structure, not only to the way that Northern Europeans were connecting with Yuletide, but its influence spread all over the world. And when we look at Yuletide, the, one of the largest influences is the influence of belief. It's that we believe not only in Santa Claus and the Krampus and the Marie Louis, but we believe in the goodness, if you like, or the goodwill that is expressed from Sinterklaas. So it felt, you know, and, and, and I spent so much time trying to figure out who would fit which archetype of the you know the traditional Rider Waite Smith um, system. And and I think Sinterklaas was one of the, the easiest ones. I thought he's going to have to be my hierophant because of what he expresses and what he contains within him, this this massive history of Yuletide. And so I, I love Sinterklaas, and and I think it's funny because my, my first boyfriend was Dutch. Um, I still have those Dutch influences in the the way that I decorate my home for for Yuletide, and and also because you know I, I've I've been to Holland a bunch of times. It's not very far. So yeah, he he had to be my hierophant. I hope you approve. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't expect you to talk that much about Sinterklaas, but I really appreciate that. And I do. And and if nothing else, he looks the part because Sinterklaas always arrives in his bishop hat and yeah, staff and robes. Right. And so if yeah. nothing else, he just looks the part of the hierarchy. <laughs> Oh, so that's he just has this history, this immense history and cultural connotations to him. I love Sinterklaas. I love Sinterklaas as much as I love Father Christmas and um, Sean Corn. In, in Wales, we call him Sean Corn, um, which which is a ridiculous name, really. It means Sean. Uh, that doesn't translate. I don't think that translates into any English name, but it's a very common name for. Uh, uh, a boy in Wales, and Corn means chimney, so it just means Sean of the chimney, which <laughs> is bizarre. But I love all of them. I love all of them. As as a frolicking, prancing pagan, they 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 are deific forces in my Yuletide celebrations. You know that I love connecting to and working. Yeah, I loved looking through those images and seeing Krampus, Father Christmas, the Mari Lued. Uh, All of the different things. Uh, Mari Lewitt is really becoming, my husband and I are really fascinated 
by the Mari Luid and the tradition around that. And it's so for some reason, it seems like in the last couple of years, it's really bubbled up on our mm. on our holiday time. And so we just love to uh, whenever we, we ever see her, she shows up on things. We get kind of get excited to see it and see how it interplays with the holiday season. Right, right. She, she has gone stratospheric. It, it, it's incredible. And of course, she's been a part of, of our traditions since we started the Anglesey Druid Order. She's always been a facet of our tradition as much as she's been a facet of, you know, of Welsh culture. So it was natural for her to to evolve a countenance that would fit into the philosophy of the Anglesey Druid Order. And now, of course, we're not the only uh, pagan group that incorporates the Mary Lewid into their practices. It feels like a very natural thing to do. But it also felt very natural for her to be my high priestess in the tarot because she is mystery. She she is the embodiment of mystery and of that unconscious awareness that the high priestess represents in the tarot and of the, the deep mystery that is hidden beneath her robes. And so it was that one was a very easy fit to get her to to slot into, you know, the, the, the role of the high priestess. And so she she's awake now in our tradition. So we have a tradition of waking the Marie Lloyd at Kalangeyav. Um, so Kalangeyav is Halloween or Samhain. And Kalan means Kalans, Geav means winter, so it's the it's the heralding or the Kalans of winter. So she gets woken up on on as close to the thirty first of October as we can get, usually on the nearest Saturday. And now she's awake, and she is the the symbol of the sovereignty of winter within our tradition. And when we get to the winter solstice, she makes an appearance in our winter solstice ceremonies. And then her final appearance is on the 13th of January, which next year just happens to fall on a Saturday. And the 13th of January in the Welsh tradition, we refer to as Hen Galan, or the Old Calens, or Kalenig, which is the Old Welsh New Year. So that's her that's her final hurrah, if you like. And we take her to the beautiful Victorian town of Beaumaris here on the Isle of Anglesey. And she runs amok around all of the pubs and the hotels and she drinks beer until she can no longer pronounce it. She steals <laughs> everybody's money. She pinches people's bottoms. She gropes people inappropriately. She's a dreadful mare. She really is a dreadful mare. And, um, and people love it. They absolutely love it. <laughs> They bring their children, they bring lanterns, they bring gifts for the Marie Lloyd, and they're singing and this rap battle. I mean, gosh, you know, who who knew that the Welsh Bardic tradition from hundreds of years ago developed a rap battle, you know? <laughs> and uh, and it's just a living tradition of it. It's such a living tradition. It is absolutely crazy. And it's and it's just a joy that she's in my my Yuletide tarot. And and doesn't matter where I go in the world now, when I went to Australia, I met a Mary Lloyd from Australia. And it was it was amazing to 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 see her there and to see her her influence and inspiration because just like the high priestess, she represents something really mysterious and intriguing. And I think that's why people love it so much. They love her because she's tantalizingly mysterious. And if and if we move somehow into a relationship with her, perhaps some of that mystery will be relayed to us. And um, and I'm sure that's why people are intrigued by her, you know? Well, I, 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 lo I love hearing the background about the Mari Lewin. 
uh, from you because that sounds delightful. And I think I'm going to have to convince my husband that we're going to have to uh, visit uh, Anglesey in January because I want to be a part of that that fun <laughs> that's going. Oh, away. you should, you should. It's 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 just it's so. And and, and the, the remarkable thing is, so one of our druids, his name is Barry. So Barry is the operator of our Mary Lloyd. So our Mary Lloyd is called Mary Morn. Morn is the the Welsh name for Anglesey, and Barry is the operator. We affectionately refer to him as Barry the Mary when <laughs> when suitably disguised. And um, and the remarkable thing is, is that when we when we chat after the event, Barry will always claim that as soon as he puts those shrouds on, he becomes lost within the archetype. And this this creature, this being, is so very much alive. I mean, she's dead, but she's alive. She's alive, but she's also dead. And she's almost a symbol of the power of oral teachings and oral traditions, you know, in that they can also appear dead but alive, alive but dead. And and even though we know on one level that Barry the Mary is underneath operating her and causing her to clack and causing her to harass people and force them into rap battles, there is something within her that is compellingly alive that is not of Barry's making. And she has, you know how children have a particular relationship when they see Santa Claus, you know, whether it's that one who's standing outside a department store with a bucket for the Salvation Army or, you know, the one that might visit your local village or a local grotto. Children have this peculiar relationship, whether they are either compelled by it or terrified by it. And they might burst into tears or burst into peals of laughter. And the Marie Lloyd has that effect on adults. So peculiar. Children, I've yet to find a child that we've come across who is frightened by the Marie Lloyd, which is in which in itself is peculiar. But so many adults are terrified by her, absolutely terrified by her. And then others find her this epitome of the invoker of joy and delight and and i'm fascinated by the mechanisms that go into the making of that because it tells us that there is something ancestrally ancestrally mysterious about this figure and compelling and intriguing and and she's alive right now but then on on the 13th of january after her last hurrah she must return to her coffin so she returns to her coffin and she doesn't see the light of day then until october 31st you know it's imperative that she returns to her coffin and so barry and crystal barry the mary and crystal his wife and their children they've traditionally sung the lullabies required to put her back to sleep put her back into her coffin otherwise winter might rain be like narnia <laughs> Yeah, or Barry might be in the back seat of that uh, for the for a long time. <laughs> for a very long time, he'd never get to work. He wouldn't do anything. He'd just be drinking beer and eating chocolate for. A, it would never bottom. do. <laughs> and pinching people's bottoms, you know. So it would never do, would he? <laughs> wouldn't do. <laughs> That's great. It would be most well, inappropriate. <laughs> we'll be back with the podcast after this short message. Since I began Gifts with the Weird podcast in 2016, I've used Zencaster for my recording needs. Now it's super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. Log in using your browser and start recording a high quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of zen 
Knowing Zencaster's multi-layer backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my gift code, Gifts of the Weird, and you'll get a 30% off for your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience that I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. A couple more cars that really stand out to me and uh, from the major, uh, and I, I, we're talking a lot about them, but I'm having so much fun, is the Krampus <laughs> card that, I, that oh. I think is really beautifully done. And I just love the way that little boy is about to get his, his comeuppance. Uh, and the little girls do for it soon. Yeah, uh, the death, and then the death card, which you pulled from Dickens, because I love a yes. Christmas Carol. That's my favorite oh. holiday story. Love it so, so much. Yeah, so I was thrilled with those those bringing those in as well. Yeah, and you know, it's I'm I'm am so I'm so thrilled that you're you're a you're a Dickens fan because a Christmas Carol is is my all time favorite. And I have um, a, a replica of the original, uh, which you can get now. I think they're widely available. But it's a it's a replica of the, the cloth bound, red cloth, gold edged Christmas Carol. You know that Dickens initially released, and, and I love it. I love it. And every Yuletide, I read it. And any version of a Christmas Carol that comes on TV or the movies, I I, I need to watch them. And my favorite is the Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, isn't that delightful? That's wonderful yeah. <laughs> I just love it I think somehow they captured some whimsy that was within the you know the original Dickens classic and um so so death felt because uh, that one was really tricky because apart from the tradition the very Edgar Allan Poe tradition of ghost stories at Yuletide and I think sometimes even perhaps within paganism that we might forget about the liminality of Yuletide and also the the peril within it. And we see elements of that peril and elements of the spookiness of the season in things like Black Pete, the receiving of coal, Krampus, you know, the Christmas devil, all of these sinister elements kind of tell us that there is a sinisterism as well within the Yuletide season. And I think that sinisterism was beautifully captured in the Victorian tradition of telling ghost stories at Yuletide, which is something that we still do in the Anglesey Druid Order. And um, so I, I I wanted the, the something sinister, and yet there's very, very few symbols of death and transformation within your tight traditions and i and i and i thought oh gosh i'm i'm over egging the cake here because the thing that always jumps out at me as the spirit of not only transition but ult transition leading to transformation is the ghost of christmas yet to come and death in the tarot doesn't symbolize death it symbolizes a transition that leads to transformation not transformation per se and then the ghost of christmas yet to come in dickens isn't the process of transformation it's the transition that ebenezer scrooge faces in order to become transformed and i'm like oh my gosh that's the death card you know <laughs> Yeah, so it was. It just fit perfectly, and um, so he he had to go in there, and then Krampus, of course, and again because we're so close to to Central Europe, we're so close to the influences of Krampus and Krampusnacht, uh, you know, the night of Krampus, um, that 
its influence is felt here in the British Isles. There are Krampus troops and Krampus uh, Austrian restaurants, very local to me, who do Krampus nights. So that's always been an influence in my Yuletide as well. And I and I even I even loved that movie that came out um, like five years ago. Okay, uh, you know the Krampus. Krampus movie. I loved it. I just loved it. Um, so he had to be the the devil in my tarot and and of course again even though you know the Krampus is referred to so often as the Christmas devil but what I was interested in was about the actual function of the devil you know uh, not only in the tarot but also of the true function of Krampus within northern and central European mythology and I just felt that that fit in really well and and that and the image that you see in the tarot is the only one that we've taken from something that actually exists, and that is literally almost copied uh, but in Erin's style from a postcard that was designed in nineteen o six I think and it was a, a a christmas card but it depicted that exact scene and i just love it and and i and i've and i've got a copy of of that old postcard here at home and and i just wanted it to be that image because i love that image so much but it's bizarre but also i felt perfectly fits in with the expression of the devil in the tarot you know i loved it and i loved reading about it and how you were able to make it connect with the the devil card and all of the, the the imagery and how it all just fits perfectly. So I, it was mm. really great. Yeah. And um, just as a little bit of a background about me, I was Scrooge once in school. Oh, you were? <laughs> we did I love it. Girl, <laughs> and I got to be Scrooge and I, I had such a delightful time. Maybe that's another reason for my affection for A Christmas Carol. But uh, like you, I love to watch and go and see it live performed. Oh, stage is really yes. amazing and wonderful. We we went to see it at the Royal Alexander Palace in London last year, and Mark Gattis was in it. Um, I think, and, and they, they did televise it as well. They televised the actual theatre production, and it was just remarkable. It was the most amazing production. But but I love it. But I also love the fact that when we look at Dickens or we look at Krampus. What we find is that there's a theme in there about the moderation of behavior and how a person fits into society in a way that expresses wisdom rather than foolishness and expresses generosity and kindness rather than miserliness and selfishness. And and I think those elements are both captured in, in equal force within uh, not only the ghost of Christmas yet to come, but also in the figure of of Krampus, it's this it's this idea of moderation, and you can kind of see that you know the little girl who's sitting in the snow chomping on the apples, she she she's just about to get her bottom whipped, you know, <laughs> by Krampus, but she doesn't know it yet. Yeah, and you can see that in the face. Erin does such a great job because she's enjoying that apple and she's oblivious even though that's happening right behind her. Yeah, it's, yes, the stolen fruits hold all the bounty, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, and, I, and, and it also, I don't know, it also, 
it evokes in me a sense of the mischievousness, the sort of innocent mischievousness that surrounds the Yuletide season as well. And and I think this is something that is particularly idiosyncratic of the British Isles, perhaps. But at Christmas time, still to this day, we have little chocolate decorations that will hang on the Christmas tree, and they're wrapped in in foil wrapping. And I don't know of a single person growing up that didn't, just like myself, very carefully undo the foil packaging and then eat the chocolate and then very carefully fold the foil packing back up on itself so that it looked untouched, you know, and let them hang on the tree. And of course, we were always found out, you know, and um, and for, for being naughty, for being mischievous. But I think that mischievous spirit is is held in figures like the Lord of Misrule, um, the Mary Lewid, you know, people who who question and cause you to, to or challenge the status quo. And we see those figures so often within Yuletide traditions. And I I, I love all of them. They they bring some profound, deep magic to the season. Whether we're able to articulate them or not, it's there and it compels us. Yeah. Well, before we move on to some the minor cards, because I do want to talk about the minor suits, um, I did notice that somehow you and Aaron got an advanced copy of Santa's Father Christmas's list. Right. So two names on there that I recognize. Yes. And uh, you have been found out for unwrapping those chocolates, I see. <laughs> I have, yeah. I, I was definitely on the naughty list. <laughs> I, I thought that was I didn't notice it until I was going through and preparing to, to actually speak with you. And I was just looking at some of the cards <clears> again and I looked at that and I said, Oh, I wonder I wonder what names are on there. And I looked and I was like, Oh, so and I, I'm sure some of your other friends have been found out as well. Oh, they have, yeah. But you can see that um Cassie, Cassie is nice. Cassie is one of the production editors that worked on the deck. And then Barbara, um, on the right-hand page, Barbara is is the editor. She is the, the general tarot editor, Barbara Moore. So she's on the nice list as well. But Erin and I, we're on the naughty list. <laughs> yeah, it just felt as if we should be, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but also it's that, you know, it's that mischievousness because it felt as if we were playing with the whole cauldron of, of Yuletide. And and we knew that, you know, some of the decisions that we would make could be seen as naughty. Like people might go, what did you do that for? That doesn't fit in there. And I'm like, well, let's play with that, you know, <laughs> and put ourselves on the naughty list because sometimes being naughty challenges the status quo. And... And I love that. So, like I said, so many of the figures of Yuletide they play that role, that naughtiness, but naughty in a very playful way, you know. Yeah, sort of like Loki. Yeah, yeah, you know, playful, playfulness, mischievousness, uh, rather than rather than ill will, you know. Absolutely. Well, I love it. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm going to the miners. I want to just say thank you for being so inclusive in the representation of the characters on the minor suits. Just, it was delightful and wonderful to go through a deck and see all of the variety of people uh, that mm. you and Aaron worked with to bring forth on the on those cards. Yeah, I think I think we, we've got a we've got a fair fair cut of demographics in there. I think we have, um, you know, people of color, 
We have people from you know different sexual and gender expressions in there. So and and it, and that felt natural as well. It felt natural to to have those people because those people are an important part of our lives. So we wanted to to include them. And um and and it's just really nice to see them in there, you know. It absolutely is because that is our society, and I and I I almost feel a little almost timid that that I bring it up, but it is wonderful to bring it up because in a lot of uh, expressions and and cards, it's missing. So it's great to see that it is now just becoming normal and a big part of how we interpret and bring our uh, expressions out. Yeah, and and I've seen that of late as well in so many newly created tarot decks because I think to a lot of people you know the 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 history and heritage of the tarot goes back such a such a long time and to an era where those gender stereotypes in particular didn't really shake anybody's cages but of course now you know things like kings and queens and pages and knights and princes and the the very gendered um, expressions that come from the tarot can be problematic for for some people, and and although you know on an occult level they they don't represent those genders per se, but rather how those genders are expressed within everybody. But it's really lovely to see people's imagination being used in the creation of new decks that are very very inclusive and there's so many of them that are out there and that i love i just need to stop buying them because i don't know where the hell i'm gonna put all these decks they're they're everywhere my house looks like a tarot shop exploded in it you're gonna give atlantis a run for its money oh gosh i've already given them a run for their money and and given them a loan it's it's like (laughs) I've surpassed the amount of decks that they've got. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's great. Well, But I sell myself that there for research, so I get away with it. There you go. It's all research. (laughs) Yes, they're tax deductible, you see. (laughs) (laughs) So when you you were working with the uh, coming through, and I can only imagine that the miners must have really been a little bit more uh, of, not a hurdle, but giving you a lot more to think about as you were deciding what to express and how to interpret the the typical tarot imagery into this modern one um, is that kind of true or um... Um, um it is and it isn't it was remarkably the minors were not as difficult as as the majors because i think there's so much i could have chosen for the majors that I just couldn't fit. But then you've got 56 cards to play with in the minor arcana. So I so I could take more detail out of the very human-centric relationship that we have with Yuletide and put them in the minor. And although some of them were a struggle and it was difficult to, to fit everything in, I I found the process of the minor surprisingly much easier. Okay. And and also but maybe that comes from the fact that whilst you know as a druid and as a pagan I frequently work with archetypes and deities and ancestral spirits and such I'm still a human being. So it was very it was much easier for me to to connect with that very human element of Yuletide than it was uh, for, for to connect with the archetypal energies because they're, they're just so vast and they're so big. So when I was looking at the minor arcana, I was able to place myself in every single one of those cards and, and express myself through them. 
And I think whenever, you know, whenever somebody sits down to read from a deck of tarot cards, if they know who they are within those cards, they're going to be a much more effective reader because they, they can, they have then a, a sympathetic connection to the meaning of that card because they can see themselves in it. So I just went through all of the emotional, intellectual, uh, in practical elements of the connection that I have to Yuletide and then expressed those through the, the minor arcana. So it felt very cathartic, but also holistic and organic as well, because of course I have a connection to, to Yuletide. So to, to elaborate on that within an image and within a meaning wasn't as difficult. There was just a lot of them. So it felt never-ending because there's 56 of them. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I just felt as if I lived Yuletide, Solstice, and Christmas for three years. Yeah. So I lived it every season. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. Well, that makes a lot of sense, uh, the way you described that. So uh, that's really neat because I think uh, looking through them, and as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm jumping into my learning of Tarot. Um, it's been one mm. of the things that I've kind of been afraid of because of the number of cards and I've put it off and I've allowed myself to be, uh, to give in to like, I'll just do that another time. Uh, right. So this and a couple of other decks that I recently received have really got me like, I really want to go and explore the story. So hearing that about the miners and you creating that with this and just seeing these images. Um, and I love that you said, find yourself in, in the deck. So I'm going to use mm. that as a point yeah. and do that. It de definitely, you know, fine. And, but also I, I looked around me at my friends and my family to see well, who, who of them would fit the the court cards you know so just randomly off the top of my head my, my knight of good cheer or the knight of cups um is a, is, a, is a friend of mine who is immensely imaginative and i'm always very envious of the the extent of his imagination and he he lives in a very whimsical fanciful world of his own making and he seems so content in there and yet he expresses a compassion and an empathy for for other people that seems to come from a part of himself that is very hidden and very emotional and very secretive and and every time i see him he always has a drink in his hand and he always says oh come and sit down come and have a whiskey come and have a little port and we'll we'll chat and we'll talk about things that um i end up feeling really good about myself when i leave his company so it felt as if he was the perfect person to represent my my king of cups because uh, he fits that character you know of the emotional stability of the king of cups but that that emotional stability comes from an internal landscape that might be very difficult for him to express or articulate but other people can feel so 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 many or actually all of my my court cards represent people that i actually know and and have that quality you know that's not to say that they don't have qualities of other court cards because evidently they do but but that one of them the flavor of one card will be most apparent in that person's personality and 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 those are my court cards so i i thought of okay so who fits that particular court card and what kind of relationship have i had with those people during the winter festivals and they were very easy to pick you know these 16 people who I've had some connection with during Yuletide, and and they've become my court cards. So even though you know I can't 
I can't quite find my king of good cheer right now. Who have I found? My king of candles I'm looking at in the book. And um, so whenever I look at my king of candles, I know exactly who I'm looking at. And and I think for a reader, that is a, a really useful tip that when you're studying the court cards, try and make them really personal. Think of the people in your life that exude that quality so that every time you turn that card over, that person will immediately spring to mind and it will apply, their quality will apply within that reading. And the person sitting opposite you, the querent, will know who you're talking about in their life, even though you have somebody else in your mind there'll be a similarity and a crossover in that quality. So so I love that because to me, not only is this deck universally applicable, it is also indicative of the, the real life relationships that I have, not only with people, but people within the context of this season. So that adds another level and another dimension. And of course, that's not exclusive to me. Anybody who buys this deck could think of the court cards as personalities in their life you know yeah and and it just gives them another dimension i love it i love that too that's great uh, advice and yeah so you um have some overarching what am i gonna say <laughs> um, <laughs> each of the suits kind of has its own story within the suit um and i found that really an interesting way or a nice way to try to help me understand mm. how to approach the suit and to go through with it. So, and I appreciate it that you explain that very well in the books. And and uh, any anything that you want to point out about any of the suits uh, that you think are interesting to take into account when people are looking at this deck. I think I think ultimately the, the suits, regardless of of what they might be called, you know, in any deck, not just in mine. So in mine, they they obviously follow you know a, a Yuletide theme, in you know gifts, good cheer, um, candles, and canes. Uh, I think ultimately when it comes to the way in which we connect with the suits that the easiest thing is to to not overcomplicate it that ultimately these suits represent elemental forces so whether you know earth air fire and water and if we stick to them as elemental forces and what those forces express we can easily read them then with things like numerology because you know i think if you if you can assign a numerological meaning to each of the cards and then use that numerological meaning within the context of its element you've understood the nature of that card and it's really as simple as that you know so that the the two of swords which is all very mental so the two of canes in in my deck it's all very mental and it's about perhaps the inability to find direction or clarity because there's too many thoughts flapping about in one's head but then the two of good cheer is about the coming together of of ideas of people and of emotions so one reads the suit in accordance to the elemental quality and then the numerological meaning assigned to each card and immediately just with those two things you can read the cards you know and when I do tarot classes, I do tarot classes all the time, love teaching tarot. It's remarkable to see people suddenly realize that, oh my gosh, with just a few minutes of numerological understanding, understanding the quality of the element, a person can immediately read 56 cards and they don't need a book. 
All they need is an understanding of the qualities inherent within the card. And then, of course, you can complicate it if you so wish. You know, you can go down the Kabbalistic meanings or the Golden Dawn meanings or or any of the other occult paraphernalia that is also hidden in the cards. But you can also keep it very, very on the surface. But that isn't to say that the surface doesn't have any any depth, because it does, because it has everything else hidden underneath it. And and I love that with a tarot in that we can we can we can work with it as superficially or as profoundly deep as we want to, and as is comfortable for us. So even though my Yuletide tarot looks as if it's like oh gosh this is canes yeah the, the the canes still they're just still pointy things you know it's a pointy thing like a sword that represents the power of of air, and then the cup of good cheer is just cups you know or cauldrons as i would have called them in my celtic tarot and um so i always think keep it simple and don't overcomplicate it especially when somebody is learning tarot <coughs> you can overcomplicate it as much as you want i love love overcomplicating tarot because i'm a secret <laughs> cab- you know i'm a secret cabalist but shh, don't don't tell the druids and um, so I love using tarot from a Kabbalistic perspective, but you know that's that's taking it into into fifth gear, you know. But you can just stay in four gears: elements, elements, and numerology, and it will just open up the most remarkable insights that might then tantalize a person to say, "Right, I'm going to go deeper," you know. And the depths you can go to are beyond imagination and i love that i do too thanks for that uh, advice and that sh- and uh, that encouragement that encourages me that's oh you're great. welcome yeah well because it's fun you know that and i think that's what that's what i love about the tower as well is that i have a lot of fun with them not not only do they enable me to try and be wise and try and be inspirational and allow me to see the wood for the trees um, they're also companions on my spiritual journey and quest. They've always been a, a companion on this journey for me. And and because of that, they're familiar and they're friends. So they bring me an immense joy, an immense joy. I, I absolutely adore them. And then to, to be given opportunities to design them is even better. And then in April, I've got another deck coming out. <laughs> so it's crazy. Wow, that's quite busy. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. So that, that one's the bee tarot because um, I was going to say the royal we. Then we keep bees at home. That's such a royal we, isn't it? My husband keeps bees, so I'm married to a beekeeper. Uh, but because of that, I have an understanding of the bees because they're, they're a part of our lives. So um, I've created the bee tarot, and that comes out in April. Oh, that sounds exciting! Yeah, yeah, oh, great. Well, we'll and, keep an eye out for that one. Oh yes, do keep your eye out. Uh, that one's rather delicious as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't wait. Now, now you've got me intrigued. So, um, and here you are. So that sounds almost like you were working on two tarot's at once over some period of time. So yeah. that, that must have been quite crazy in your household. It was a bit because not only were we in the middle of a pandemic, I was working full time as well, and it was it was rather crazy. And writing a book at the same time, so it was like two tarot decks and a book that I was working on all at the same time. Uh, so I'm somewhat relieved that all of these projects are now coming into fruition because it was a lot. Yeah, indeed, it was a lot, indeed. <laughs> well, considering the 
the seasonal aspect of the Yuletide Tarot. Some people may only bring it out for the holiday season, but yeah. I think it's something someone could use all year round if they wanted to. Oh gosh, yeah, very much so. I think anything that might require the the spirit of frivolity, the spirit of um, goodwill, of joyousness and warmth. I think that that can be injected into into any season you know and um because i was certainly i was i was reading from these cards in august when, when i first um, got them oh it might have been july actually but which did feel quite peculiar initially i'm thinking gosh i'm reading yuletide tarot and it's 80 degrees <laughs> but yeah. then you know but then when you consider that and although these cards predominantly the the symbology within them applies they they certainly have a northern hemisphere bias but i think that bias was also unavoidable because i live in the northern hemisphere and almost not exclusively but almost all of the iconography and development of yuletide happened in the in the northern hemisphere but of course when you go to the southern hemisphere it's summer when it's when it's yuletide or when yeah. it's christmas it's christmas is in summer yuletide itself technically is in june and and I know of friends down in Australia who who will be using them, you know, in in June and in December, whether they're celebrating Christmas in December or whether they're celebrating the winter solstice on the twenty first of June in the Southern Hemisphere. So for Australians, they get to use them twice a year, <laughs> which is which is kind of fabulous. That and, is um, fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, they have the secular celebration and, and the cards fit into that. And then they have the spiritual celebration six months later. And um, and I think within the Northern Hemisphere, every season contains the seed of the next season. So for me, the Yuletide Tarot is something that I'm particularly, particularly working with at the moment. And I'll be working with them all the way up probably until the end of February into the beginning of March because the influences of this season are felt throughout those months, especially here in the British Isles. And and I like as well that I have decks that I reach to at particular seasons because I think that demonstrates the relationship that we have with the cards, you know, that we're not just using them just as a tool, but rather something that expresses a connection that we have not only to the philosophy of tarot, but also to what that particular deck is expressing, whether that is seasonal or some other theme. I think what's important is that we have a relationship with them, you know, and I, and I think, you know, by the time we get to like April, May, July, August and stuff, people might not be using this deck as much as they as they would in the middle of winter. But I think that's okay because it expresses the quality that we have um, in connection to the seasons. So then one look, looks forward then to, to pulling those decks out as the wheel of the year turns, you know, because autumn contains the seeds of winter and the seeds of winter are birthed in spring. So you know, it's this constant cycle that we're aware of in paganism. So so I look forward to, you know, when, when I do eventually put my midwinter tarot away some sometime towards the end of February, early March, it'll be exciting then to see them re-emerge as we turn towards um, Kalangayev, towards Halloween. Yeah, that, that yeah. makes so much sense and answers so many more of the questions that I had prepared for you. So thank you for that. Ah. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're very welcome. Um, uh, for me, I find that right around July, I need a little Christmas cheer or a little yeah. cheer. So I'll probably be breaking them out a little bit more than uh, just because uh, uh, the heat and all of the, uh, and yeah. so much about being out at the beach or being out and play. Sometimes I want to huddle in a little bit and have that Christmas fire and and the mm. the coolness and all that. So I think this is going to be a big part of that. Oh and yes, I, I hear you. I mean, it's not even cold enough in the United Kingdom for me. So every every January, I take myself off to Finland, right up in the Arctic Circle, where the sun barely shines and there's snow on the ground for you know, seven months of the year because uh, it's just not winter enough for me here. So in January, I'll be up there. Um, yeah. which is ridiculous and then I, I go immediately from Finland to India and India is going to be scorchingly hot oh dear I cannot oh, imagine that crazy well, as we get ready to wrap up I'm, I'm going to share with you that I have the deck in this lovely little Christmas bag my mother made she's passed away now so um, it's a delightful oh, little bag so um, I wanted a special cover for it so it's got that Oh, lovely. Oh, yeah. thank you. How nice. And I just really had a delightful time speaking with you. Other than the Bee Tarot, are there any other projects that you can share? Yeah, so so the Bee Tarot is the next release. I think that's released in March, I believe. Uh, it certainly will be out in time for Paganicon in Minneapolis on, ooh, I think, the 17th of March, 17th, 18th, perhaps. And um, so I've just started uh, writing my next book. So I have to keep that one slightly under wraps until my editor allows me to speak about it. But I'm in the middle of that one. But my um, my latest book is called The Book of Druidry, um, which was released in July. So that came out within two weeks of the Yule Tarot. So... So my my you know my Yuletide tarot and the book of Druidry are kind of my new babies. Ooh, congratulations! And um, and I'm really pleased with both of them. And and the book of Druidry, um, I, I, well, I'm quite proud of it actually, which is quite surprising because sometimes authors and are, are not particularly proud of of you know the finished product, but I'm quite proud of it. I'm I'm, I'm pleased with it. So I'm happy that that's out in the world doing its thing. And um, but other than that, I've I've got. I've got a crazy 10 months um, filming a new documentary for Welsh television that I'm presenting and writing. And that's taking an awful lot of my of my time and energy, but it's something I'm very passionate about and, and it's very exciting. So the writing of the next book is probably going to take me the best part of a year because I have to fit in all of this filming work as well. So, so yeah, so there's a lot going on. There's a lot. But yeah, hopefully by the time I get to the new year, I'll be able to announce what the next project's about. Well, congratulations. And you keep very busy. Oh, uh, well, you've got to, haven't you? You know, <laughs> I think we're not here for very long, are we? If we're very, very lucky, we get about 75 years, you know, and I was a coroner for 32 years. Well, that's half of that time gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I use that as my excuse as well as when people say, why are you so busy? And I'm like, well, I just so much to do so much to yes. do yeah so much to do so much to enjoy and and immerse oneself into so it's i, I love it i love i love being busy yes well thanks yeah. so much for joining us and for sharing you're your welcome. vision of the yuletide tarot with with uh, aaron brown's art you're more than welcome it's been an absolute joy and a pleasure thank you so much thank you for listening 
please have a look at the show notes for links to support our guests and, well, notes. The podcast is available from Podbean, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast download providers. Feedback and reviews are greatly appreciated. Please follow me on Instagram at, at weirdgifts one and on Facebook at, at giftsoftheweird. Email me at giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. That's weird with a Y. Thanks and have a great day.